Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. This is episode number 56, recorded on April 27th, 2023. We're going to talk about parking lots, especially the acres and acres and acres of car parks you'll find dotting a city. Colin Chan is from JLL, a company that looks at various real estate asset classes, including parking lots, to find the best use for them. We'll get to Colin in just a bit, but first, it's Grant with his news. Okay, Grant, what have we got for news for this episode? Well, I mean... I don't know. I, I thought we would go nature. I know, I know. Because it's some, some well, you know, it is nature, but it's AI. Um, and, and you probably know this because um, the, I don't know if you noticed, uh, there was a great posting uh, video uh, last week of three bees taking turns unscrewing together, unscrewing the um, top off a bottle. Those are smart bees. Well, it's funny you say that, but you know how we've always read about bees and how they work as a team and how incredible they are? So they've been testing bees and making tasks up and filming them. So these bees, literally, as a group, figured out how to turn the top of a jar, a jar cap. And they turned it off and took it right off. And what's happening is they're starting to understand that these insects, along with others, are much smarter than we all know. And the reason that brings up, uh, Alan, is I'm not bringing it up because I just want to say, man, bees are smart. But I know you're going to think this is crazy. But soon you'll be able to use things like bees and other insects to do tasks for you. Like present challenges and they will do it. Like this is like... You know, if you believe the world that we're all just a bundle of energy and we're talking to each other, this simply, to me, is simply amazing. And to see it happen um, just blows me away. I'm I'm thinking Day of the Dolphin when we train yeah. dolphins to uh, attack warships. But but and true, right? And true. Um, but I think that what it's telling us is we're getting closer and closer to understanding what's around us. It's not as primitive as we think. Um, and, you know, we talk about, you know, how old is the world really? Who knows? Where does it all come from? Who knows? But um, there's a reason why these these insects and other animals have lived for centuries. This is a, a, a millions and billions of years. This is. I, I, that's what I meant. Uh, um, Alan, I didn't mean <laughs> centuries. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's interesting too because we're dealing with a with a hive. We're dealing with a community. We're dealing with yeah. something, you know, a, a bunch of um, organisms that are intimately interconnected. And okay, and now what do we call other. this show? What do we call this show? Smart City. Yeah, they're a city. They're a commune. Oh, okay. I mean, Never th- that's yes. the whole point of this. Like, I just see it and going, wow. They've been doing it longer than all of us. And quite frankly, they're probably better team members than we are. No disrespect from you and you, me and you, but the way people interact are not like the way they do. Okay. And they accomplish things for their size because 
they're a smart colony. They're a smart group. And they achieve things by realizing how they work together. No difference than when I went and saw in, um, in, in UK, remember I talked about years, years ago, Alan, where they had the smart little robots that all swarmed together and they would put them in a little square table, a hundred of them, and they'd give them a task and you'd see them learn to work together where the bees do it 10 times faster. That's what I meant. Okay, so do we go robots only? I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, eventually the robots are going to rise up against us. Why not have the insects rise up against us too? Well, they already do. I don't want to get bit by an insect. (laughs) No, thank you. But maybe we can train them not to bite us. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Sting us. Sting us. Um, Okay. What else you got? Um, I want to stay on the same thing. we may as well, because it's really interesting. So through mice and other smaller animals, they have figured out exactly how they're communicating and what they're saying. So they can now interpret through AI, through um, both energy, magnetic energy, and how they react to things, studying them, exactly how they're communicating. And not, not like, yes, no, I mean what they're saying. So scientists have now figured out through AI, how to figure out, remember, chatbots and all that, it's all about thinking and understanding what you're doing. They have figured out now, in a very small way, small group, um, how to um, simply communicate and what they're actually saying. Well, can you imagine um, the future of this, whether it be bears or whether it be dogs, which I, of course, Alan, I wish it was dogs. But again, I don't know if, like, it's funny you just said the rise of the robots, and I haven't talked about a robot yet. No, I'm waiting. It'll happen. Well, my point being is, how about just the rise of AI and how it interacts with nature? And and I think that anyone listening today has to understand it's not just about building a robot all the time. I mean, um, the problem with today is we, every the buzzword, of course, is chatbot. Yet it's it's not always about chatbot in a physical form of a robot. It's software. It's taking al- algorithms and making things around you communicate and smarter. And I know this sounds way superstar space stuff, but I think it's happening. And so, from my standpoint, I'm spending a lot of time trying to understand all this stuff because I think it makes it's a big deal. All right. Big item. Um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to go away without talking about. Probably, there's so many exciting things coming that I want to talk about, and I want to. I want to label them off in a row um, quickly, and I don't want. But I want people to be aware of them, even though some you can't go to. But of course, we have next week our Smart City Summit at uh, the University Master University. It's full. And we're going to have some of the leading speakers, experts from every industry in Smart City. And, of course, Barney Powell's flying in. Believe it or not, he's flying in from Zurich um, to be our guest speaker on the future of AI and cybersecurity in, in, in the world. Him being the leading one, what do we talk about the biggest thing? What's the number one thing we talk about right now? Cybersecurity. So Barney's flying in. He's a speaker, actually, in Zurich right now. He's coming in next week. And he's coming in to, he's actually staying at my house and people can look him up 
If they've ever heard of Bing ChatBT, he is the founder of Bing um, and many other things, as we know, and my co-founder. So that he's going to be there. We've got um, Project Arrow there with one of our guest speakers being Colin, who is a CTO, uh, Colin, Colin Dillon, who also, by the way, is a best-selling author. Um, we have, um, of course, me and you are going to be co-hosting it. But we, and then we have Mark talking about analytics. We have several cities. We have um, one of the biggest transportation companies in the world coming called Parsons, who, by the way, are the project managers for the line in Saudi Arabia. Um, so I guess you kind of think this is going to be quite a unique show. And I want to make sure that everyone uh, at least gets the results of what happens because our goal there is to change the world. That's it. Alan, it's just to change the world. Nothing special. No, it'll be simple. We should be able to tackle this in what, what a day, day and a half? Yeah. And then I, I want to tell one more thing. There's a bunch of trade shows we're doing, but that's fine. We all know about Collision. It is the biggest startup tech conference in the world. Um, about 40,000 people will attend. And and guess where it is this year? One guess. It's in, it's huh? in Toronto. Intercare Center. It. Okay, now, um, Ontario um, chooses 24 companies out of all the startups in Ontario to present and be in the Ontario Technology Booth for Ontario Canadian Companies. 24. That's it. Probably over thousands. Guess who's going to be there? Guess who got chose? Well, Locomobi's one. You got it. So we're very excited about that. And I know it's not, but, you know, obviously to be recognized at that level. But I got to tell you the best thing. We're in one booth. No, we're in two booths. We're also in the Project Aero booth with the Durham region for electronic, for the future of smart cars. So this company has two very, and you'll be down there with us probably. Um, the, we're in two very significant spaces at the biggest tech conference for startups in the world, and we're in two different uh, uh, platforms. I think that's pretty cool, and and I and I I welcome everyone to come down. Uh, you can look up Collision online; you can't miss it. You can, and I will be posting um, uh, over the next few days ads. So please follow us, and we'll probably talk about it as well at at, at our conference next week. But it's a big deal. It's over forty thousand, and um, we're not in one, but two facility booths. Colin Chan is from JLL, an international company with 80,000 people spread out in offices worldwide that aims to help clients make the most out of the real estate that they own. And one area in which they excel is the use of data and analytics to determine the best uses or alternative uses of places where people park their cars and in a responsible and sustainable way. We found Colin at his office in London, England. All right, Colin, we like to start at the very beginning. Let's let's talk about where you came from, and then let's talk about what JLL is. Thanks, Alan, and thanks, guys, for having me on this uh, this podcast. Uh, very exciting. Um, so a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm based in, in London, uh, and I started my career in uh, a data c- uh, consulting role uh, from a helping uh, the real estate world, the property world, look at 
optimization strategies and expansion strategies. So I very much focused in the retail world when I first started my career and, um, you know, really heavily emphasis on data and analytics and technology to kind of position our advisory to our clients and um, our, our, our professionals, basically. Um, I then moved on into um, to JLL, which uh, I took on a role very much focusing on, you know, that client-facing um strategic consulting role where work with investors and occupiers on their investment strategies from in, in the re- retail real estate space to the um, the occupiers where they looked at you know expanding their store profile or as we moved on in retail uh, optimizing their store profile because um, you know as we as we know in terms of that space how how things have changed um, I then moved over to our investment business to focus on um, uh, a team that we set up called Asset Repositioning, and that's very much looking at uh, what assets in the kind of built environment are potentially at risk in the sense that, you know, what they were. So let's just take a retail shopping mall or a shopping center or a an office block, which is not in the prime locations. You know, are they best served as those particular asset classes? Can there be something else which is more um, value creative or value enhancement and, or better for the built environment around them? Um, so we looked at that from a repositioning point of view. And whilst I am that kind of data junkie, as I mentioned before, I came across a car parks database, uh, which got me very interested because, you know, in the UK here, we have over 23,000 car parks. 80% of them are surface car parks, which ultimately means land. And, um, you know, the big question is, are these particular assets utilized? Are they optimal? And if they are, can they be something else as well as what they're serving at the minute? So came on this journey from, from a data background to, you know, now I set up a team in, in JLL where we uh, I head up a car park solutions team. And that's everything from, you know, my, my main priority is around investment, so buying and selling, but how do you get the asset to a certain point in order to sell it or buy it? Um, and then the solutions that come with that as well. Pretty cool. We uh, we have some issues with the uh, open car park space here in North America too, quite a bit as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, it's, it's, it's easy to see for a civilian to look at a downtown area, for example, and find it awash with car with with empty lots that are being utilized to store cars uh, and it makes a downtown or any part of a city look really empty and run down and and dead so it, it's your job to maybe take those spaces and recommend better use for them yeah there's a bit of that and there's there's also you know i always describe this in three areas um you know, identify, unlock, and enhance. And it's probably a good time for me to kind of give a bit more of a background of JLL because uh, I was going to just ask you that, Colin. I haven't, yeah, exactly that. I haven't actually given them. Um, you know, for your listeners, they might not be familiar with um, JLL as a business. So, so JLL is a property consultancy company where we specialize in you know property services and investment management. Um, and you know, we, we really see that the built environments, the urban environment that we're talking about, the cities of, of, the, of, our, of our world, is a real powerful platform where we can help change it into a better place. 
Um, we very much focus on innovative technology and data intelligence, uh, combining that with you know the global to local expertise that we have on the ground, in order to untap that kind of opportunity for success. So, you know, very high level, we we, we effectively buy, develop occupy and invest in a variety of asset class, which could include, you know, what I call the traditional food groups of real estate in terms of your industrial, retail, corporate, residential, hotels, student accommodation, right through to what we're now looking at in the alternative space in terms of alternative real estate, such as like life sciences, self-storage, data centers, car parks. Um, so really this, you know, your question there, Ryan, you know, do you look at it, you know, are we looking at converting car parks into better uses, not for every single one, you know, their car parks or what we like to call them as is vehicle storage or, or urban mobility hubs will serve a purpose. And therefore it's, it will be polarized. You know, you have to identify which ones are going to be that urban mobility hub or vehicle storage of the future versus the assets or the, the, the car parks that we're seeing, which potentially don't need to be. Um, and therefore, what can they be? What, what um, are they better served as? Yes. How big is JLL? No one, uh, like I know. I mean, quite frankly, I know, but I think people need to know, like, are we talking to a company with like five lots? Are we talking to a company that's worldwide with, you don't have to say exact numbers, but I want people to understand we're talking to someone with some breath. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're a global company. Um, and, you know, I won't, I won't, don't want to be quoted on numbers, but we are definitely 80,000 strong uh, across the globe. So, you know, we're, we're, we're a bit of an outfit, if you want to call that. And uh, we have, you know, offices across all the major cities uh, across the globe. Um, our, our kind of headquarters are in uh, Chicago. Um, yeah. And then obviously I, I sit within our, our European headquarters in, in London. Okay. So you you are uh, you use a lot of data, a lot of analytics. How do you apply that to a car park? Yeah, that's a really interesting space because um, you know this is something which I've had to be quite innovative and using my background in that data space and analytics space. Um, I have to say, I, I I'm not the you know I, I've got the innovation and the, and the kind of um, the ideas, but actually implementing it, it does require, you know, some specialists. So I, I actually brought in a, a data scientist into my team. She heads up our kind of analytics side of things. And, um, and we, we use a, a vast range of data sets and Intel that, uh, to allow us to ultimately look at any asset, um, in the UK, to start off, because that's where my team is, to understand whether or not a particular car park is performing or not, and and that that can range from, you know, data sets from you know mobile phone telephones, mobile databases. So understanding the number of mobile devices that have actually entered into that car parking lot, don't call that, um, to then understanding you know who operates it, who owns it. What's the demand supply factors around that area to be able to then model up and say, right, we, we have historic data on visitor profiles and visitor numbers to be able to say, well, actually, you know, COVID was a very good almost benchmark in a way because, you know, right up in 2019, you'll see whether or not a, a, a car park is, is excelling or, you know, maintaining its, its, its level of income or level of visitors to post you know, the COVID-19 pandemic to say, to see whether or not it actually recovers. And, and a lot of the time where we're, we're not seeing that recovery profile come back to 2019 figures, um, we can, you know, 
be very confident with our analytics to say, we don't think that this particular asset is performing again. And then it begs the question of, well, and what else can it be? Or what else should it be? Or is it an operational um, perspective? So Colin, are you, um, like, first of all, I've never, I've been around, as you guys know, a long time in this business. I've never seen a developer put up ahead of area to look at car parking. Um, they have lots of guys in the business that do it, but this is amazing because obviously you guys see the value in the, not just the revenue stream, but the service to, to your clients. Is it always about yield or is it also about, hey, um, we're prepared to give up something in the parking facility to make our building better or vice versa? Well, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the biggest, the, the reason why I got into it was I got fed up with looking at green greenfield sites being used as development sites instead of using what we're calling brownfield sites in urban cities where, you know, if an asset is not performing and not serving the purpose of what they, what it currently is, we really should be thinking about that as development land rather than, you know, building and destroying our, 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 our environment around us, our green environment around us. So, so that's first and foremost. And, and, you know, a big, a, big part of our kind of MO with JLL is, is, is sustainability. You then creeped into that in terms of the building efficiencies. Like we're, we're, we're going through a transition um, globally where our buildings are just not efficient. And therefore, how do we level these buildings up to yeah. make sure that they are, you know, decarbonized, they are sustainable buildings of the future, and also buildings that, you know, we as people, as workers want to go into and want to make a purpose of a journey to get to. Yeah, um, that's a big one. So, so there's a, it's a whole accumulation. And of course, there's a yield factor play there because, you know, we are seeing some aspects, some, some, some car parks, as I, I said, said, said earlier on, where they are resilient and they are making good income. Well, if they're surface car parks, then why or lots, you know, just, just land, then the big question I have is if the densities are allowed, and what I mean by densities is the height restrictions are available to build up, then you can still keep that car park and still generate the income, but then you have optimal space above it to build, you know, residential, affordable housing, uh, offices, whatever that might be in that location where the demand is required. So you, you have uh, buildings that are, for example, have a, a, a podium that's a, a parking structure and then everything is above that. Exactly. Exactly. So so um, you, you brought up an interesting comment because I think it's important because let's face it, guys, it is still the, the conversation, be it a buzzword, COVID. So we all saw the big drop. No, and I'm thinking that in most cases, this was there was a, a conversation being had where developers like yourself um, and other big property management and, and owners were saying, oh, they're all going to come back. This work from home hybrid thing, it'll, it'll disappear. Um, and for some cases it has, but it really has not in total disappeared. Do you feel that it is going to disappear? Or do you feel that a new strategy has to be made more of a hybrid model to get people utilizing the assets from people who are not actually in the building, but in surrounding area versus getting people back in the building? Is there like okay, we get it now. We we've got to make our we got to change our strategy. Or are you like, I just read an article yesterday where one of the biggest guys in, in Canada said, "Oh no no, we're going to fill back up." Yeah, there's sixty percent down in, in in retail in uh, commercial space. Is that a is that are these people just dreaming or what do you think? 
Uh, it's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, you know, crystal crystal balling it um, is 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 kind of how it's going at the minute in terms of you know what people see and what people think. Um, you know, what we're, what we're seeing is pretty evident. You know, there is a there isn't the the same levels of occupancy um, in terms of people returning back to the office as it was pre pre pandemic. And what that has fundamentally made um, the built environment, or you know, landlords or, or or you know, companies with with offices, is really having to rethink their strategy around their office space. How does how is it being used? You know, what what are what is the key drivers to bring our employees back into the office space? Because you got to remember, it's not it's not just about the office itself. It's it's a halo effect. You know, yeah. your, your office serves. Um, the purpose of the economy around it as well, you know, because if you're if you got a building that that fits three, four, five thousand people, you know, where do they spend their money? Yeah, it's, it's the local businesses around it. It's the the retail, the leisure, the hotel, everything that goes around it as well. So, so there's it's a big challenge, and and you know, one of the things that that we've been looking at is, you know, what is the that work life balance, and what is the what is attracting people to come back to the office space? Because the biggest thing that you're not going to get from your your working from home is is the innovation that you get from working with people, you know, face to face. And yeah. and it's then about okay, what is the what is the what does a typical office floor plate look like? You know, do, it's not going to be your traditional. You know, banks of desks. You know, one after the each other, uh, one after each other again. It's you know, it, it there has to be that kind of open floor, innovative thinking space, and but also, you know, dovetailed with that hybrid working model as well, because there will be, you know, you, you will require that space to be able to have that kind of technological advance to be able to say, right, okay, some people will work at home. In a few days of the week, and, and that's just reality now because we've seen it and it, it does work. Therefore, how do we position the building and position our assets to 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 get people back into the office in that way? So, so yeah, we're seeing a lot of the, a lot of change in in the office place. Um, I also think this is attributed to you know the way that we attract them back is is also about you know what advances in technology are we seeing around the journey to absolutely. The Okay, so so mo- mobility is, is a huge thing, and 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 a anyone commuting to work, um, it, what's the worst thing that you that that you come across when you commute to work? Right, if you get stuck in a traffic jam or congestion, you know that could be an hour, an hour and a half of your time stuck in one place, and it's not efficient, right? So, you know, we you know like like this podcast, you know, we need to think about smart cities, and what do we mean by smart cities? Is like AI is is a huge advancement. Let's not call it disruptor. It's an advancement to to real estate, to our infrastructure, because you know we can see that streamlining our journey, you know, identifying and controlling congestion, in order to make that consumers that that commuter, uh, you know, that journey to be a bit more. Let's just call it nice. <laughs> because we gotta say enrich your journey because. I mean, yeah, that's it's it's the worst part. But if you can find ways to make people want to come in, and that's where your data comes in, obviously. But yeah. then also, I have another question that's, and I don't know how you answer it. So because I know that you're 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 very focused on some key areas like parking and self storage, which we view them as very similar, both industries. Um, so 
I mean, let's face it, guys. I mean, you could have this hybrid model, which is great because I'm still going to pay my rent in your building. But I only my employees are coming 50 percent of the time, but they're paying for their parking. Do you take a position of that parking and say, I can create demand elsewhere? Or do you say, I'm holding on to that and not doing anything but leaving it there? I mean, where do you decide? Because, you know, you'll find other demand. I don't care if car dealers just want to rent space or there's a new shopping mall across the street. Where do you decide or have you thought about how do you repurpose stalls that are there available but only on a part-time basis? Yeah, not even Monday to Friday, but maybe even, well, obviously less than that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's that's one of, you know, the car parking asset is one of the most uh, suboptimal real estate classes, right? In the sense that most of the day, it's not actually being used. And yeah. I'm thinking of the early hours, so anything from midnight, and you can say that about the office space as well, but... This this is this is fundamentally something that we've all been talking about. Is like how do you build that twenty four seven income stream? Okay, and it's not about you know when you look at self storage, when you look at dark kitchens, when you look at anything that requires physical um, uh, partitioning or some sort, that takes away that flexibility of being able to use that space. Um, in a Unlike parking. Format. Exactly that. So, so we have we have looked at you know with clients um, in terms of their office spaces in particular where it's it's located in prime locations where, you know what, in the hours of nine o'clock to to nine nine p.m. to to six a.m. people may want to park their car there or they want to use it as a charging facility or during peak time in the weekends. Um, they may want to park there because it's close to the the retail footprint, the the leisure footprint as well. So it's about having a smart solution in uh, a smart solution or a smart management process in within the car park oh, itself. Before I forget, because you said something that's really intriguing to me, and I, and now you're talking about really using the, the value of what you have in that asset. You said something interesting, and I know it means so many other things, but you said in case you want to come and charge your car. Mm. Now think of that, guys. Uh, I don't know how much you have thought about the future of smart cars, where they fit in the infrastructure, but I think it's going to be big, regardless of what people may not or may not think. And I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but number two, though, we know that right now the power grid cannot install chargers uh, everywhere. And so certain buildings are going to have to figure a way to attract people to use chargers in non-peak times. And by the way, and I'll extend it because you brought it up. You have chargers, you have shared mobility from scooters, you have water stations, all these things that can go into a garage and be flexible. Um, but you've brought it up the best. I mean, it's funny how during the day, I don't need a charger where you would think I have to have it. But when the garage is empty, boy, could I use a charge? Mm. Your comment. Yeah, and that's not just, you know, we're seeing this also with some of the retail, um, in the UK, well, we call them shopping centers where they have car parks as well. And, and some in particular, which are close to big transport hubs, yeah. uh, where, where taxis generally are going to be, if you think of the Ubers of this world, where the bolts of this world, where taxis are, are going to be 
located around in order to pick up from, let's just say, from the, from the airport or from the train station, because that's where their biggest trade is coming from. They generally, you know, the, the electric vehicles, um, so the EV kind of like fleet, if you want to call them that, they need a place to charge and they're not going to go home every time because they probably don't live near that particular transport hub. So, you know, one of the ideas that we've been suggesting to a landlord of a shopping center is actually opening up uh, their car park, which was traditionally not 24 set, not 24 hours. It was, you know, it was closed after 10 p.m. Was that actually, could you open that up and then give access to the ground floor where the EV charging EV chargers were located to these types of tradesmen in order so that they can actually charge their car whilst waiting for the next pickup. Yeah, I agree. That, that's another great use of thinking out of the box of how to use your, your parking lot and your asset. All right. I, I have another question. Um, are you dealing with asset classes that were former 100% office space that's now being changed into let's say 50% office and 50% residential? Great question. Uh, we are we are looking at that more and more so because in the UK, um, in the UK, there, is, there are certain legislations that are coming through where buildings have to be um, a certain type of, uh, a certain type of uh, efficiency. So in those cases, you know, we are going to find a lot of office stock, which are not in prime locations, so secondary locations where they may not be occupied as offices anymore because they just don't have tenants in it because most of the tenants don't want to be there or the occupiers are not wanting to be there. Therefore, the question there becomes, what should they be? And we're now starting to see a bit of a trend on the repositioning of those particular assets. So also, almost what we saw in the retail world about, you know, last five, 10 years ago, where you know, there has been a huge polarization shift of prime retail locations to non-prime locations. And then what do you do with the non-prime location assets? Similar thing that we're going to see in, in, the, in the office space as well. And, and then the question is, how do you then look at um, reformatting a office building into, as you said, a residential block or, um, you know, other things could be, you know, completely looking at it from a different angle of, you know, student accommodations, so on. So it, it all depends on the structure of that particular building. It's not an easy task because we all know that different, different buildings have different structures and therefore it's about how do you tap into that and how do you make it feasible? We're, we're seeing some uh, conversions here. We have a, a big shopping center in downtown Toronto called the Eaton Center, and there was a Nordstrom store there. And Nordstrom's is pulling out of Canada. So they have, I think, eight or nine floors of a former department store that need to be repurposed into something else. And a bank came in and took four floors, which is which is really interesting for a, for a downtown urban core. I'm shocked at that, Alan. Yeah, me too. And then there are other shopping centers in the Toronto area which have vast, you know, acres and acres of Asheville car park. And we're, we're seeing the, 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 um, the owners of the shopping centers, people like Cadillac Fairview and Knoxford properties and so on. What they're doing is they're saying, okay, well, we, we see public transportation, shared transportation uh, going up. And we're also seeing a decline potentially in the future of personal automobiles, the number of personal automobiles on the road. So what we're seeing is that these acres of asphalt are being dug up and turned into 
residential units, so, you know, sometimes 40, 50, 60 stories tall. By the way, and saying that, they never used to do that. No. So what I'm, what I think that's to follow up is, is, as Colin, as you know, Toronto probably is the number one developer in the country, the world with cranes. I think it's 230 cranes and LA was second with 40. And so we're seeing this mega transformation to mixed residential. So mixed use, primarily residential, retail on three or four floors, uh, work centers for people in prime locations downtown. So we've seen some of that transformation. Um, and JL being um, one of the biggest in the world, it'd be interesting to see um, if you are doing any of that. More so in new development, I would think as well. Like when you develop new property, um, are you saying, okay, let's look at, should it have a residential piece to it now? Because we can have people work there, we can have work centers, you know, obviously the other stuff, gymnasiums and parking and all that. Have you seen that shift at all? Well, to be honest, residential is, 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 a, is a huge area that we look into and we have a, a massive business around that in, in the UK because you know, in particular in the UK, we, you know, we are short in supply of um, housing. So, we, we, you know, we, where there is urban space to, to, to develop on, you know, residential is always looked at. And one, 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 one angle, one shape, way, or form. And, you know, you, we're seeing a lot of, as you said, we're, we're, we're actually looking at a site in, in a, uh, historic town, um, in the UK and in, in, in York, actually. Uh, I don't know if you guys know it. Um, lovely, lovely city. If you ever get a chance to visit, it's a very touristy, cultural, historic town. And it has, you know, it even has this kind of the York walls, if you want to call it that, which is the, which surrounds the city itself. Um, there's huge development going on called York Central and um, that is something that we are we are looking on the development side on and that is going to be a huge mixed use scheme where there's going to be you know I don't want to quote the numbers but loads and loads of um, you know significant amount of uh, residential uh, but also mixed in with uh, some offices and, and, and other uses as well in that area as well. So would you call that a smart community? Because it's not uh, one building right? It's a whole community? Or is it like you said? It's going to have all kinds of things. Is it like we have that doing? Uh, Colin, we have that here quite a bit now, where someone will buy sixty acres and build, bring in developers for twenty buildings, a hockey rink, a whole infrastructure for smart community, and it'll have office as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like any new community that you're building on needs to be needs to be smart, right? Because if you're not, then you're 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 going behind the time. So so what we mean by smart is is obviously what are you bringing into everything from the platforms that they control the parking within these particular facilities to the facility management to the property management of these buildings as well. And how do we make sure that um, you know everything from you know havoc so heating ventilation ac is monitored in a way that allows the operations of that building to be uh, maintained and well effectively you're cutting down the cost right but also then to make it more decarbonized and energy efficient because why do you need to have these lights on when you when there's nobody around do you need to have the heating on, for example, when there's nobody there to 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 to, to actually take up the the heating? You know, especially now with yeah, yeah. the cost of living crisis that we're all seeing, and it, it you know, hundred percent. And then obviously, you know, you, you'll know yourself. IOTs, 
Internet of Things, you know, all these sensors allow us allow us to to build on top of that kind of AI platform um, in order to help us become this kind of smart community in a way. And then, you know, JLL, we've partnered with um, Hank AI, which is with our property asset management team. And we do exactly that. We go into buildings. We look at, you know, currently what is the uh, uh, the current process um, for everything from ventilation to heating to lights to, you know, controlling of um, identifying um, any building issues that may come up, you know, the, the, the historic way was bring, get an engineer to come in, have a look at that location or the problem that they may have, uh, or, and then, and then fix it that way, or just have all the lights on, have the AC on from 6am to 6pm, you know, have all the lights on at that time, because that's deemed as our prime time. But having the AI with a virtual support team allows us to be able to be a lot more energy efficient and only switch on the lights where they need to be, only heat or ventilate the locations that they need to be uh, ventilated in as well. So it becomes, you know, it goes back to our point earlier on about a decarbonization and making sure that we are, we are, we're living in that, in that sustainable built environment. Yeah. And you know, I got to ask you something. Because here it's a big deal in North America, not just in Canada. The telecos play a big role. They bring the fiber in the building. They want all the data or share the data. They even fund stuff. So in our world, they're a major player with the developers. They'll sign a teleco deal with a major teleco for the whole country and sometimes regionally. Um, Do you see a shift in how the telecos interact with JLL in your markets? Uh, I mean, personally, I haven't seen it. Um, but as you said, power is key for any development. And what comes with power is is exactly that, comms. So, yeah, I mean, it has to fundamentally sit there as one of the priorities because without it, then, you, you know, it goes back to what we talked about. You can't become a smart building or a smart community or a smart city. So, yes, 100%. It will be, it will be at a very important factor to any new development new development or even new repositioning of a building colin chan and jll assessing one parking lot at a time in a way to make things more efficient and more sustainable and more well just better that's it for episode number 56 thanks to colin chan of jll and if you want to see what kind of work jll does with developers go to their website at jll.co.uk If you have any questions and comments for us, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. And make sure you check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. Lots of podcasts that you can listen to there. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production is by Rob Johnson. Executive assistant, Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.